Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on the State of Ukraine, memories of Bakhmut before it was a killing field. I'm Greg Dixon. The name of the eastern Ukrainian city of Bakhmut has become shorthand to mean a scorched earth war zone. It is the longest and bloodiest battle of Russia's war on Ukraine. But to one rescue worker that NPR's Joanna Kakissis met near the eastern front line, Bakhmut is home. Here's Joanna. For the last year, Edvard Skorik has had a familiar routine. He gets up early, puts on a helmet and flak jacket, and jumps into a van with a sign that reads evacuations. Then he drives toward the front line. I've adapted to live only in the moment. I don't think very far ahead. I see the situation here and now. I see that help is needed now. Skorik is 31 and cautious, especially when he's talking about feelings. He's thin but athletic, like a long-distance runner. We follow his van on a half-paved road to the town of Toretsk. It's about 22 miles south of Bakhmut. These days, it sounds like this. Skorik and a couple of other volunteers are near a church that was recently bombed. They're here to evacuate a frail elderly couple. The evacuation started a year ago. Then the front line kept coming closer to us. So far, our team has evacuated something like 30,000 people, most of them from Bakhmut. He pauses. Bakhmut, his hometown a hometown that now lives mostly in his memory. My life was in that city. I had so many friends. My most vivid memories were my teenage years. I got a motor bicycle when I was 13, and I remember riding around the streets of Bakhmut and all the villages around it. Early in the morning, he would head to the abandoned alabaster mines in the countryside, then back to his city, passing Bakhmut's famous sparkling wine factory, then stopping at his favorite hangout spot, the river embankment. What a magnificent place. There was this whole alley of roses. There were also cafes, beautiful trails and beautiful trees. It was so atmospheric, and I can't really describe its beauty in words. You had to be there, he says, and he looks sad. Edvard Skorik's Bakhmut was alive. His blue-collar neighborhood of high-rise apartments, where the local tough guys taught him to kickbox. The school where he learned about Bakhmut's mining riches. And this one place that every single local knew, a nightclub called the Hutorok. He shows me a video. Outside, it looked like a big lock cabin. Inside, it was decorated like an old-fashioned Ukrainian restaurant with embroidery and everything. Skorik and his family left Bakhmut last May, four months after Russia's full-scale invasion. A few weeks later, he heard that a Russian missile killed a classmate there. That prompted Skorik to offer his neighbors a chance to evacuate. He recorded those encounters on his phone. In one video, a teenager in a white coat says her family won't leave because they tell her war is everywhere in Ukraine. In another, Skorik hands out several loaves of bread to a woman riding a bike who also refuses to leave. Надо выезжать. Вы же видите, что творится. 
In the last video taken late last year, a distraught grandmother agrees to leave but asks, how can I leave my home? Then I drove past my house, although it was not on my way. It wasn't damaged yet. It was like a farewell moment. It was the last time I stood on my street in my home neighborhood while it was still intact. He hasn't been able to return since January, though he's heard a few hundred people remain there. But he has seen videos and photos showing his school, his neighborhood, his favorite club, his beloved Alley of Roses, all destroyed all burned to the ground. I've had to put my memories on pause. I cannot yet feel grief or worry, no matter how cold this may sound. Because Bakhmut, he says, was his whole life. Grieving its loss feels too enormous, and he has too much to do right now. Like help the elderly couple in Toretsk. The couple is Ludmila and Victor, who have lived here for 50 years. Victor is on a stretcher, and Ludmila needs a walker. She wears her best jacket and lipstick, to honor the home she will never see again. Skorik takes her hand. Don't worry, my dear, he says. Take my hand and everything will be okay. Joanna Kikisis, NPR News, Toretsk, Ukraine. Thanks for listening to the State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back for more on the war and its impacts around the world. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stearns & Foster. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted for irresistible comfort with indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for your most comfortable sleep. Learn more at stearnsandfoster.com. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.